uh, going to lead worship today. Uh, got some special help, as you can see. Uh, it's going to help us lead worship. And also my niece and nephew are here with the rest of my kids and my wife. Um, so it, uh, hopefully, as we invite you uh, into our family a little bit today, we want to worship the Lord and honor Him with the things that we sing and say and do as we celebrate the birth of Jesus.
God was faithful to send his son down to give us new life. Let's sing about that faithfulness this morning. You'll sing this with us. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be.
Father God, we thank you that you are a faithful God. God, that during this time of year, Christmas, we celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus. We see your faithfulness on display. As it was foretold in the Old Testament many, many years before Jesus was born, how it would all occur. God, you are faithful to your promises to provide a way, Lord, for us to be saved, to be redeemed, Lord, and to cover our sin through the blood of your son, Jesus. God, thank you for your willingness to give your son and to redeem us for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Well, good morning, Norris Ferry Community Church. You guys doing okay this morning? Y'all doing good? Yeah, I hope y'all had an awesome Christmas visiting family and traveling and um, eating yummy food and watching Elf and all that kind of stuff. Anybody watch Elf this week? Just out of curiosity. Yep, at least 20% of the congregation. Very good. Well, I, I know for myself, my family, we traveled to North Carolina um, over the week. We left Tuesday and got back last night about 9 o'clock. I don't know if... If you've ever traveled um, with a toddler uh, before, um, but if, you, if you've never traveled six, 700 miles with a toddler, then consider yourself lucky. I've never given a cat a bath before, uh, but I can imagine uh, what it must be like um, after, after yesterday. So today it might turn into more of a, more of a counseling session for me. Y'all can pray for me, still, still kind of getting over that. Um, but anyways, man, before I get started, I just want to say that my, my family and I, we've, been, uh, we've, we've seriously loved um, being here with you guys. So we've been here now for almost eight months, um, which is nuts for me to think about. I can't believe that I've been a Louisiana resident for eight months. It still blows my mind when I wake up. I'm like, I live in Louisiana. Like, I mean, Louisiana is great. Don't get me wrong. I love it. But being from Georgia, I just never thought I'd live in Louisiana. Yeah, but, but thank you guys. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you guys for welcoming us um, into your church family. Um, and for being generous with us during just a, a weird year for, for all of us. So, um, yeah, we, we consider it a huge blessing to do ministry and do life with you guys. So thank you. Um, so we're going to be in Luke again today. So last week, uh, Pastor Tracy hit pause a little bit and rewinded to, to Luke chapter 2. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 9 um, in verses 23 to 27. So you guys can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles uh, this morning. And so as you turn there, man, I've never been a big fan of New Year's resolutions. Um, you know, just as a, as a confession, I'm an Enneagram 4, which if anybody knows what that means, that means I'm an individualist, um, which, you know, like New Year's resolutions are way too mainstream. So if I'm going to do a New Year's resolution, it's going to be like mid-September or something like that. Um, but if I was to push for a New Year's resolution, some of you guys are like, what the heck is Enneagram? Is that witchcraft? No, it's not witchcraft, I promise. Um, but uh, it's a personality test. Anyway, so, but if I was to, uh, to push for uh, a New Year's resolution, then the call to action or the, the application point from, uh, from today's sermon, then man, it would be, it would be a great one um, to push. So, so just saying, just for you to, to keep that in mind. Um, all right, well, let's read the passage this morning um, and then ask God um, to speak to us. So Luke 9, 23 to 27. <clears throat> if you don't mind, actually, I like to ask people to, to stand whenever we read um, God's word together. It's, you know, there's nothing holy about it. It just kind of helps us to, you know, just to kind of focus a little bit. So 23 to 27, it reads, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly... <clears throat> There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray this morning. 
Dear Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to gather together as, as, your, as your church, as a, um, as a body of Christ this morning. Um, God, I thank you for your word uh, and for how it just pierces our hearts and it changes us more into your image. Um, and I pray that it would do just that um, this morning. I pray that, that you would empty me of myself, um, God, and that, that you would use me as your vessel to communicate the truths of your word. Um, God, I pray that, um, that your people, as we leave today, Lord, that we would leave, um, God, just with a, a new or perhaps a rekindled passion um, for following you this morning. Um, that's, that's my desire. Um, so we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You guys can be seated. <clears throat> so as we get started, let me ask you guys somewhat of, a, of an investment question, okay? So let, let's say that, uh, that I'm a financial planner. Uh, which you probably don't want that, but let's say that I'm a financial planner. I'm going to sit down with your family, um, sit down with your, you know, with your, with your wife, your husband, or whatever, and I'm going to say, all right, so we're going to look at your assets. We're going to look at your income. Um, we're going to look at your expenses, how much you spend, you know, how many kids you have, some of your goals. Um, and I'm going to give you two options, two options for, for investing. All right, so option A um, is you can spend all your money on cars, on clothes, and on coffee, um, and so you're going to have some, some, really, some really nice cars. You're going to get a new Camry like every year because there's really, there's really nothing nicer than, than the Camry. I love Camrys. I drive a Camry. Um, you're going to get a new Camry every year. You're going to have some dope clothes. Like, by the way, I'm a student minister, so, so I say things like dope a lot. So it, just, it means cool. Um, so, so you're going to get some really nice clothes every year. And you're going to get like a peppermint mocha like every single week or every, every single day from Starbucks. Um, so you're, you're just going to, you're going to, you're going to crush it. You're going to live high on the hog. But the thing is with option A, you're never really going to, you're never really going to go any, any more beyond that. Like that's, that's going to be pretty much the extent of what you're going to be, going to be able to afford um, for the rest of your life. So that's option A. Option B is that, you know, you drive a used car, which if you drive a Camry, the great thing about Camrys is they last forever. So you don't have to worry about that. Um, but you're going to drive a used car. Um, you're going to, you know, maybe, maybe like only get clothes that are on sale. Um, and you're only going to get one peppermint mocha a week, which some of you guys are like, I, life's not worth living if I can't have more Starbucks. And I, and I get that. Um, but, but the good thing about that is in five years, you'll be able to afford a pretty hefty down payment for a house. Um, in 15 to 20 years, you'll be able to, to put down a, you know, a good bit of money for your kids maybe to go to college. And in 30 to 35 years, you'll be able to have a pretty, a pretty healthy retirement, right? Like you'll be able to, to live within your means and have a pretty healthy retirement. So which of those options, option A or option B, which of those options would you say is the best option? Option B, that's right. It's, it's, not, it's not too difficult. Some of you guys are really, really not sure, honestly. <laughs> and that, that's okay. I get that. That's right. It's, it's option B. Option B is the best option because even though it's not the easiest option, right, it bears the greatest long-term fruit. That's why option B is the greatest option. And when we look at our passage today, we see somewhat of a similar idea. So we see in the text, there is undoubtedly a cost for following Jesus, no doubt. There is undoubtedly a cost for following Jesus. However, the cost of following Jesus, it bears the most fruit long-term, undoubtedly, completely undoubtedly. And before we go deeper into the text, let's just rewind a bit and let's see where we're at here in Luke's account of the gospel, okay? So at this point in the book of Luke, so the disciples, they know that something is special about Jesus, okay? They spent a lot of time with Jesus. Um, they've gone around with him and they've seen him do all kinds of crazy miracles. They've seen him heal people and raise people from the dead and, and tell people to repent for the kingdom of God is coming. Like he's seen him do all this awesome stuff, right? So they know that Jesus is special. They know that Jesus is important, right? And so Jesus, he brings them in. He, they have like a huddle and he's like, all right, so I'm actually gonna give you guys Power. I'm going to give you guys authority to go out and to do the same thing that I'm doing. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you authority to go heal, to go raise, raise people from the dead. I mean, I'm, going to, I'm going to send you out to go tell people about me. All right? And so that's what they did. That's what he did. He, he sent them out. And so after maybe a few weeks, maybe a month or so, something like that, we don't really see that in the text, how, how long it was. 
Um, but they go out and they do that. And they, they do all those things. And, and they come back in. They regather. And they're like, oh, my gosh, like that was awesome. Like I, I raised this person from the dead and I saw this crazy thing happen. And it was, it was incredible. And pretty soon they realized, like, man, like we don't have enough. We, don't, we, we need more time to share about how awesome this experience was. Um, so so we need to, let's go somewhere together. Let's go to, let's go to the house. Let's go to the cabin uh, or the camp, as you guys would say. That's a, that's a, new, that's a Louisiana vocabulary for me, the camp. Um, and we're going to spend some time together just talking about um, our travels and talking about all the awesome things that happened. So that's what they did. They went to Bethsaida um, with Jesus. And so they get there. And so just for days maybe, they're, just, they're talking they're like, man, like this awesome thing happened. And that crazy awesome thing happened. I raised this person from the dead. And it was incredible. Like so, so, so cool. The coolest thing I've ever seen. And so then they're sharing with Jesus. They're like, and, and Jesus, just for you to know, like, this is kind of what people are, are saying about you. Okay, so some people, some people think you're legit. Some people think that you're a fake. Some people think that you're a prophet. Um, other people, like, they say this. Other people say that. And King Herod, he even, he even has wind of you, right? He's even, he's even inquiring about who you are um, and, and wants, to know, wants to know a little bit more about who you are. And so Jesus is like, man, that's awesome. Like, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear these cool things are happening. I'm glad to hear that, you know, that people are, are starting to wonder about who I am and all that. But here's the thing. What, what do you actually think about me? Who, who do you say that I am? So I, I want other people to, to know who I am, absolutely, but, but you guys are my disciples. So who, who do you really think that I am? And in response to that, Peter said, well, well Jesus, I believe that, that you're the Christ of God. I believe that you're the son of God. And so, so Jesus is like, Man, awesome. That's right. You've answered, you've answered correctly. I'm so glad to hear that. But now here's the thing. You're right about that. But go and tell no one. Don't tell anyone that, basically, is what he's saying. So why, why does he do that? That's, that's, really, that's really weird, right? Like, doesn't Jesus want the attention because he is, after all, the Messiah? Isn't that what we're supposed to do as, as followers of Christ? Like we're supposed to go and, and spread the glory of God like all throughout humanity? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? And ultimately, yes, that's, that's true in the purest sense of the question. However, with, within the context of our passage, uh, one of the reasons that Jesus wanted to, so one of the reasons that Jesus wanted to restrain his disciples because kind of during that time, like people are really starting to hate the Roman government and so they're looking for some other like political or religious bandwagon to jump on and Jesus doesn't want to be that guy. He doesn't just want to be like the new bandwagon. So that's one reason. But another reason is that there was apparently some heart work that still needed to happen in the life of his disciples the disciples were apparently still, still teetering a bit, right, on whether or not making the investment was worth it. There were still some, some aspects of following Jesus that they, that they needed to be made aware of so they could know whether or not they wanted to go all in with their investment or not. And so what we see in the passage that we're primarily focusing on this morning is Jesus, he's turning over all of his cards, okay? So, so Jesus unveiled, he's turning over all the cards, and he's being just totally honest with them. He's saying, this is what it looks like to be my disciple. Here are some aspects of following me that are important to consider as you continue to discern whether or not you want to go all in. So my objective for us this morning is for us to look, at, to look at those three aspects that we see in the text this morning. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So here we go. Aspect number one of following Jesus is that there is a price. There is a price for following Jesus. It says it right there in verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now, I don't know about you guys, but the idea of my, of my actions, you know, having an effect on my salvation and on my standing before God, like, that kind of causes some internal tension, right? Like, that's, there's something not, not right about that. Like, isn't salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone? Like, isn't any righteousness that I have, isn't it given to me as a gift from God? And to that I would say, man, absolutely, of course, of course that's the case. 
Scripture makes it crystal clear that the whole reason that Jesus came and died as a sacrifice for our sins is because there was nothing that we could do to save ourselves because we were children of wrath. We were sons of disobedience on a path to destruction. And so, yes, absolutely, there's nothing we can do to be saved. However, while that's the case, while the Spirit of God is the one who draws us to himself and the one who saves us ultimately, at the same time, there is a conscious decision that we must make to die to ourselves daily in order for our hearts to be tuned to the gospel in a world that is constantly and daily fighting for our affection. I'm going to say that again. There is a constant decision, there is a constant, excuse me, a conscious decision that we must make to die to ourselves daily in order for our hearts to be tuned to the gospel because the world is constantly battling for our affection and is constantly battling for our hearts. And that's what Jesus is making clear in this passage. He's saying, man, like, I'm so glad that you want to be my disciple. I'm so glad that you, that you want to be a Christian, like that, that's awesome. That's, that's literally like why I came. That's literally why I'm here. However, this is what it takes. Okay, you have, to, you have to go against your human nature. You have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross and you have to follow me. All right, now, now who wants to sign up? There's a little bit more to, you know, than just posting a Bible verse on Facebook every now and then, right? Which I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. I'll do that from time to time. Well, a theologian during, during World War II, his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I, I like to, to read about him. He's a pretty cool guy. He says that when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. And then Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So if you want to follow Jesus, you have to deny yourself. You have to die. So what does it look like to, to deny yourself this morning? One commentator, he said that to deny yourself, it means to tell yourself. So this is you speaking to yourself. You're saying, you are not in charge any longer. I love Jesus more than human approval. I love Jesus more than honor, more than comfort, and more than life itself. There is more gain in following Jesus than there is in walking away from him. It means that you're more concerned with loving Jesus more than you are with the comforts this life has to offer. You're more concerned with loving Jesus with all that you are than a reputation and with approval and with honor. And then looking back to the text, so we see, like we just saw, that we have to deny ourselves. And then the phrase calls us to what? To take up your cross. Which at the time Jesus said this, the disciples, they understood the idea of crucifixion because it was something that was a part of their, their conduct. It was something that was a, that was a part of their, of their custom, right? They'd seen people be crucified before, so that wasn't, that wasn't anything new to them necessarily. But they had no idea how personal Jesus' instruction for them to take up their cross actually was for him at that time. They didn't know in that moment that the idea of taking up the cross, it was not an illustration for Jesus. They didn't realize that in the not-so-distant future, Jesus would literally carry his cross through a crowd of people to, to die an unjust death so that we could live. Jesus knew that. He knew the burden of Calvary. He knew what it was like to carry the cross, but he did it. He did it anyway, right? And so just to define what that means, by the way, what, is it, what does it mean to take up your cross for us? So taking up our cross, it means to recognize the burdens, the struggles, and the sacrifices that you must make in order to follow Jesus faithfully and to do it anyways. To, to recognize and to know, man, to follow you, Jesus, with my whole heart, it's going to take this sacrifice, and it's going to take dying to this, and it's going to mean I have to give up this, and I recognize that, and I take inventory of that, but I'm going to do it anyways. That's what it means. It's the resolve to keep moving forward in obedience when it's hard, when you fail, when you feel like you're at a standstill, when you, when you don't even sense the presence of God but to keep moving forward. And the good thing is that this resolve I'm, I'm talking about, it's, it's different than just, just pulling up your bootstraps, right, and, and plowing through. 
It's different than that. It's, it's confessing your weakness to God. It's confessing your, your humanity and your brokenness to God and waiting and relying on him to give you the strength that you need above our own strength. So I just want to ask, what, what is that cross for you this morning? What burdens and what struggles have you been called to bear for the sake of following Jesus? Whatever those are for you this morning, I do, I do have some encouragement, okay? So it's not all bad. I do have some encouragement. While denying ourselves, taking up the burdens of our cross, whatever they may be, and obediently following Jesus is not easy, there are some pretty, some pretty massive benefits to doing so that Jesus explains in the next part of the text. So while there's a price to following Jesus, the next, the next aspect we see is that there is a prize to following Jesus as well. So there's a price, then there's a prize to following Jesus. It says in verses 24 to 26, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I don't know about you, but it's really helpful for me to, to consider the, the prize that waits for me at the end of, like a, of a difficult season um, or something like that. So two and a half years ago, um, when Rachel um, was pregnant with our son Jackson, a lot of you guys have, have met our son Jackson. He's a, he's a wild boy. He's a, he's a crazy man. Um, but she would be sick in the bathroom, so she probably hates that I'm even telling you this, but oh well. Um, but uh, she, she, w- she would be sick in the bathroom, um, and she would wake up in the middle of the night because Jackson wants to practice kickboxing, you know, in, in her womb. Um, and uh, and so, so she would sleep, she would, you know, go through days without sleep. And I mean, you guys know how it is. It's, it's horrible. Um, but what kept us going, or really what kept her going, I, I didn't really, you know, it wasn't really too difficult for me. But um, what, what, kept, what kept her going was, was the prize that she kept in mind, was the day that she would get to make eye contact, that she would get to see her child, her baby, for the first time. Which now, if you know Jackson, if you look at him for more than two seconds, he'll probably try to claw your eyeballs out. He's really crazy. But, um, but anyways, <laughs> uh, the prize made the price worth it. In that moment, the prize made the price worth it. So there is a high price for following Jesus, but the prize we get for following him, it makes it all worth it. So Jesus explains to his disciples this counterintuitive idea that in order for them to save their life, they have to lose it. They have to let go of their agendas. They have to drop their plans. They have to reorder their priorities, and they have to let go of their reputations. But in losing their life, they would step into a relationship with the living God that they would get to experience in that moment, yes, absolutely, but in the future forever as well. Because the bottom line was that their short life on this earth, it was just a vapor. It was just a grain of sand compared to the seashore of eternity that they have with Jesus that they would get to experience. So what, what real profit do we gain from our lives on this earth, that they're filled, with, they're filled with an ounce of temporary satisfaction at the cost of eternal riches and eternal joy in the presence of God. What real profit do we gain? Talk about, talk about a bad investment right there. May God help us to, to see how small and how insignificant the temporary pleasures of this world are in comparison to the, to the eternal weight of glory that we get for choosing to carry the cross of this momentary afflictions of this life. May, may he give us a spiritual insight to, to know that and to, and to see that. All right, so moving on to verse 26. So this part of the passage is it's best understood when we kind of flip it upside down. So Jesus warns the disciples that whoever is ashamed of him and of his words, of that man will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in glory. Well, that doesn't sound exactly like a, a prize now, now, does it? That sounds kind of weird. And at first glance, no, it doesn't. 
So Jesus, Jesus is saying the tough words of, hey, if you're not willing to be associated with me, if you're not willing to follow me in this life, then my father is not going to be associated with you either when the time comes, which is true. That's, that is what it's saying. That's true. But on the flip side of that, Jesus is saying, if you do associate with me, however imperfect, however weak your obedience may be, if you do associate with me, when you stand before my Father, I will associate myself with you. And when Jesus associates himself with us, there's no half-heartedness involved. It's an all-or-nothing package. So Psalm 103.2, it proclaims, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his what? All his benefits, that's right. So what are those benefits of being associated with Jesus? Romans 8, it tells us the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So when God associates himself with us, that means that we are his heirs. We are his family. And then Jesus prays in John 17 when he's talking about his disciples. He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. So when God associates himself with us, that means that we literally get to be partakers in his glory. So, that, so we're not like just lowly peasants kind of sitting on the outside of the table. That means that God literally seats us at his table and makes us partakers in his glory. And then in John 17, 3, the best part, Jesus explains that this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This means that when God associates himself with us, we get to actually, we get to actually know him and be in a relationship with him, both now, but then forever as well. So the price of following Jesus, it is undoubtedly great. But the prize is even greater. Have you spent time considering the prize and considering the weight of the inheritance that we get for the momentary afflictions of this life? I would really encourage you to do that. So moving forward. The third and the final aspect we see in our text is that there is a priority in following Jesus. So we have a price, there's a prize, and there's a priority for following Jesus. He says in verse 27, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. When I first read this, it initially came across as like a, as a warning to me, right? Like some of you standing here, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God, so, so you better get your act together, right? Like you better, you, better, you better get it straight. But after reading it over and over and, and observing what happens and, and looking at the context here, looking what's about, what's about to happen, which is a transfiguration in the verses that follow, I think what Jesus is saying in this passage, it's more of, it's more of an announcement than a warning, He's saying the kingdom of God that they have been waiting for and that everyone has been anticipating is going to be established very soon. Like most of the people that are hearing his voice right there in that moment, they're not even going to physically die before the kingdom of God comes. Like this isn't some distant idea that disciples can worry about later. Like, like Jesus knew this was a reality that would soon come to pass. The kingdom of God would, would soon be established and there was, there was a priority to their response. And so what, what is the kingdom of God? Like, what is that? We use that, that phrase a lot, but what does that actually mean? The kingdom of God is, is the rule and the reign of God in the hearts and the lives of his people. It is, it's a redeemed nation or people that have been restored to their original purpose, which is to, which is to worship God and which is to enjoy God forever. The kingdom of God is about to be established on the cross when Jesus crushes sin, fulfills the law, and says it is finished. And that's because the, Jesus, the, the kingdom of God is not a place, but the kingdom of God is a person. 
And because Jesus is, is aware of what's going on and what's, what's pretty soon about to happen, he's raising the priority. He's saying, I know you may be confused. I know that denying yourself and choosing to follow me, it will be hard. It will be a sacrifice, but just hold on because pretty soon you're going to see what I mean. And pretty soon you're going to see that it's all worth it, okay, because I am the kingdom of God and I am going to establish myself and your hearts and the hearts of anyone who trusts in me. So maybe you're here this morning or you're listening on your, online and you know that you have a cross to pick up. You know that you have a burden to carry. You know what you need to deny yourself of. Maybe it's the, the burden of, of an addiction. Maybe it's the burden of, of some type of, of sexual sin. Maybe it's a failing marriage or a relationship with a friend or a sibling that you're, you're tempted to just give on, to give up on. Maybe your burden is a constant obsession with success. Whatever that burden is, I want you to hear that yes, there is a price for following Jesus and that price is often great, it's inconvenient, it's sometimes lonely, but the prize you get for following him, it far outweighs the temporary price. It's an investment that pays off infinitely more than any other investment that you can make because your prize is an inheritance that never spoils, it never fades, it never ends, it never fails. Your prize is, is a joy-filled relationship with God both now and forever. So I urge you, pick up your cross. This is urgent. Just to make it simple, one of the first ways you could pick up your cross is to admit your weakness before the Lord where he will be waiting to give you his strength to carry your cross. He's aware of what that's like. He's done it before. So my, prior, so my prayer for, for myself and my prayer for you this morning is that the reality of the kingdom of God, this reality of the gospel, that it would take priority over every other value, every other goal, every other, every other thing that you would want and hope to accomplish in, in this coming year. And that you would see that following Jesus is, is absolutely and totally worth it. Let's pray this morning. God, I pray that you would help us to accept the price, accept the, the burdens, um, the crosses that we have to, to bear, Lord. Um, you would help us to accept that because, God, because we want the prize. We want to know you now. We want to know you forever um, in eternity, Lord. And um, I pray that you would help us to make it a, a priority as well, Lord. So thank you for your word. I pray that it would not return void. In your name we pray, amen.
Let's pray together. Father God, we, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, and as followers of Christ, we've been challenged to take up our cross daily and to follow after you, knowing there is a price and yet such great of a prize. God, thank you. May we make the gospel of Jesus and living to honor him a priority in our lives as we begin a new year. Lord, may we honor you with how we live in 2021. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have in him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. We want to thank you for being here this morning. We hope you have a very happy new year. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.